This recording is a production of Faith Builders. This presentation was recorded at REACH 2013, a conservative Anabaptist ministry convention hosted by Faith Builders on March 14 and 15, 2013. Well, I want to welcome you to this workshop. In this workshop, we're looking at helping the hurting. And um, I do want to uh, say at the beginning here, I intend to conduct this as a workshop not as a lecture. Uh, so we'll be looking at trying to work at things together. I'll be opening it uh, for you to make comments, give input, um, as well as to work on thinking about people in your life who are hurting and uh, ways that this might help you to think about responding to them, uh, to their needs. I'd like to... Um, I'd like to start with an opening scripture, uh, which I think was quoted, I think uh, J. Irvin Fox referred to it last evening in relation to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Isaiah 61, the uh, prophet is writing, uh, we would understand that he's writing prophetically here. Isaiah 61, the opening verses, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus uh, read from this passage at the beginning of his ministry. And uh, I wonder, I, it, it just would be uh, for those of us who have come to believe in him, put our lives, our trust in him, what it would have been like to be there that Sabbath day and hear Jesus read this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. And, and from that point, he went out in helping um, and, and interacting with his uh, people, proclaiming the good news uh, of his coming and healing people, uh, people who were suffering, people who were in distress. And you see this as the ministry of Jesus. Now, um, I am going to recognize that the focus of this particular workshop is especially on people who are hurting, okay? And that hurting may be physical, it may be emotional, uh, it may be a deep distress that it, um, that is visible by surface uh, bodily uh, pain uh, difficulty, but it may also be that which is completely covered, and we don't know. We can't see it on the outside. Uh, in this room, I don't know how many people are in the room here, um, but I, I'm certain if we would just pause and ask people, require people to Tell me, tell me what's hurting in your life. Uh, my assumption is, though, you people look wonderful. There's sorrow here. There's distress. And um, sometimes um, uh, it has been my lot or calling, I'm not certain, to hear that. People tell me their sorrows. Tell me what they are going through. And some of the stories that I hear from people's lives who look good, is so distressing. Um, and so then we have to ask the question, how would Jesus, what would Jesus do here? How would he minister to that sorrow? 
I'm going to <clears throat> take you through a number of premises, and then we will spend uh, the remainder of the time in workshop kinds of things. And uh, on your outlines here, I'll go through these premises uh, fairly rapidly. The uh, one or two will take a little more time for. But first of all, I just am saying we live in a world of sorrow, in a system that is broken and there's a lot of sorrow. Uh, and, and the reality is that it's not just... Now, uh, um, let's go back, go to the second one because these are, t- are tied together. Sin is the root cause of human sorrow. Okay, that's at the, at the core. That, that's where sorrows have come upon us because of sin. Um, at the same time, we struggle here because not always is, is personal sorrow directly tied to somebody's personal sin. There can be good people who suffer. And uh, it doesn't seem like... Now, we, we, the, the suffering that is clearly linked to sin, sin somehow seems more understandable to us. You know, if somebody uh, spends their life in wickedness and just plain sinful living, and they get consequences for that, we say, well, you know, it makes sense. But then you see people who really are wanting to live for the Lord, and, and they suffer. They go through distress, and, and then we struggle, like, Lord, why? What is this about? Well, and, and then, as believers, followers of Jesus, the question is, how do we help people like that? Is there a difference between uh, neighbors who don't know God and people in the church who know God? How, uh, what is the Christian responsibility? Years ago, I... Um, I was living in a, a different state and, and uh, needed some gravel. I just needed some crushed rock. Uh, and I, if a neighbor of mine that I had interacted with, had worked with actually some, um, had a truck and he, he hauled uh, crushed rock. So I called him and, uh, on a morning, I think 7 o'clock in the morning or something, and his wife answered. And I said, is Don there? And uh, she said, no, uh, he never came home last night. And It kind of took me back. I didn't know quite uh, how to respond. I knew that Don struggled some with with alcohol, but I didn't know to what extent. And uh, but I heard the distress in her voice, and so I just I think I just said something like, "Can I just call back at a later time?" She said, "Well, that'd be fine." And and later um, I talked to my wife about it. Later that day, I think that same day or the next day, my wife was in town and. And she met Wendy uh, in the store, and she just uh, said to Wendy, um, Wendy, how are you doing? And Wendy burst into tears and turned around and just walked away. We live in a world of sorrow. Now, that's an ungodly situation, but then we have people in the church sometimes who are distressed as well. Do we, do we interact with the hurting uh, people who don't know God, how do we help them? Is that different from the way we help somebody in the church who is in distress? Point here is simply that this is a system we live in. There, there is going to be. Now, if you grew up in a Christian home, I see a numerous younger people here, and sometimes I give assignments to students who are in their 20s, and, and I say, 
I want you to write about a sorrow that you've had. And I've had students that say, I don't know quite know what to write about. And I just find that amazing. And, and I say, you have been spared so much. I just hang around. Okay, it'll come. But that's a world system we live in. And it is tied to sin, but it's not always tied to personal sin. And that's where it gets confusing for us. These are premises. Number three, people have different responses to sorrow. Some people get mad. Some people just are confused. Some people fall apart. Some people just, you just see them so sweet, deepening in their faith. And sometimes they're sweet and deepening in their faith, and then they fall apart. Okay. It's like, okay, uh, we thought this person was really stable, and, and suddenly they're, they're struggling. People have different responses. God cares deeply about human sorrow. Does God care? And we have, we have uh, especially the sorrows of his people, uh, just Old Testament and New Testament. I love to read in the book of Exodus where God says, I know their sorrows. Uh, those, his people in, in Egypt there, and they're, they're distressed, they're suffering oppression, and so on. God says, I know their sorrows. I'm going to do something about it. God cares about it. I just pause here and say a very comforting verse in, that was Old Testament, New Testament, book of Hebrews, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 4, toward the close of the chapter, 4 or 5, 4, I think it is, where uh, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched. Now, that double negative there, but what, mean, what it means is we have a high priest who is touched with, you know what the words are? With the feelings of our infirmities. He's moved. It's like Jesus it's like Jesus seems to absorb this himself. He, he lets his own heart be distressed by the things that distressed us. That's a premise, and that's, that's, that's a wonderful reality of being his. God cares deeply about human sorrow. Now, number five is one I want to take just a little time on here. God uses sorrow to do good things. And I listed out numerous scriptures uh, from the New Testament to help us think about some of the intentions of God. And uh, I, I, I wish I could, sometimes I wish I could explain this. But in another way, I guess I'm glad that I don't have to. Here's the thing. This is one of the most, one of the most beautiful things about being God's children and trusting him. The things that come into our lives as devastating, as hurtful, as destructive, these things that come into our lives to destroy and hurt us, when we trust God, His power, by His power, He will turn those things into the very things that build you, that strengthen you, that deepen you, that make you beautiful. This This is, God does this, and God is good at it. He's been doing it over and over for centuries, he's been doing this for his people. Okay? So, let's look at some of these scriptures. I'm going to read them fairly rapidly. I'm going to ask you to be ready to fill in here. Okay? So, what does God do? That, uh, he, when we look at these verses, okay? Uh, these are the words of Jesus, John 15. 
Verses 1 to 4, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Okay, now this is figurative language, but he prunes. That means he cuts things off. Okay, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So, God uses pruning to do what? In your words. To encourage growth, yes. Yeah, good. Uh, You also see the idea of uh, it's encourage growth uh, is the one side of it. Maybe there's another side of it to get rid of, okay? So to, to purge off the things. Actually, this uh, pruning thing is a really good analogy because there are things. Do, do you know what um, suckers are on uh, fruit trees? Suckers are branches that grow up that don't do anything. They just suck uh, vitality, but they don't produce anything. When I was a boy, my bishop got me to... to prune his apple trees and I was only I was only about 12 years old 11 or 12 years old and he actually gave me one of these things to go after his apple trees and I went after him he he showed me how to do it he showed me one he showed me what suckers were and he said now you cut those things off and I went after that thing you know when I was done you could look through my tree a whole lot better than you could look through his tree <laughs> I really took it to it but the tree survived anyway suckers Okay, so what does God, he, he, he does, allows difficulties in our lives to cut off things, to purge, and also to bear fruit. Good. Romans 5, 1 to 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Okay, there's, there's the hard part. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation work produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God uses tribulations to produce character. Yeah, good. Anyone else? How you want? What? To deepen that character. The perseverance, okay? 2 Corinthians 4. Um, Paul here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. I just read through this letter this morning and was so, uh, so blessed by Paul's life. He, he went through so much stuff. But this is what he said, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, that's kind of a neat thing to say about human sorrow, isn't it? Our, uh, only somebody like Paul could get away with saying that, right? If I'd come up and tell you what you're going through, that light stuff that you're going through, you'd be offended probably. Paul says our light affliction produces, works. What does it do? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God uses 
these things to, what would you say? This might be a little harder to put into our words. Yes. Yeah. He, he, he uses these things to prepare us, to get us to focus, you said, to focus on things eternal, to prepare us for eternity. You know, uh, we go through, th- through things we don't understand. It's really hard for me not to talk about things that I'm going through. I'm not so much going through. My daughter is right in the middle of a stem cell transplant, and they just harvested her stem cells, and her, her, uh, in a week or so, they're going to give her strong chemo that just knocks out her immune system, and that's a scary part. And, you know, she was through one round of treatment, didn't work, and now she's going through another thing. And, and you know, I look at it, but... but I want to say, folks, when you interact with people who are going through those things, their eyes see things that we don't see. They, their eyes are on eternity. They, they start seeing things eternal. They start looking in ways and seeing life in, in different perspective. Yeah, God does good things. Hebrews 12, whole passage here. We, I just chose um, verses 7 through 11. We could look at preceding verses as well. If you endure chastening, now there's, there's the hard word, the tough word, chastening, things in life that are difficult. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits, and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You've got it right there. He tells us. That's one of the reasons. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields, here again, the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God uses chasing, uses difficult things in our lives to make us holy and righteous. It's very clearly stated in these verses. James. James is almost uh, gets carried away here. Okay, He says, my brothers, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, I, uh, so God does here uh, the testing or trials, testing of your faith to do what? To develop patience. Patience is the idea of, again, of perseverance or not quitting. That you may be perfect, though the perfection, the maturing. Uh, and, and taking the first part, maybe one of his purposes is to deepen our joy. Um, yeah. I don't think I'm... I'm where James was. I don't. I haven't grown up altogether there yet. I'm not where Paul says. I when <clears throat> when I start getting trouble in my life, I start getting in, excited. And honestly, I'm not there, folks. I typically go through distress first. Now, I can get excited when I start seeing things on the other side, but when I see it coming, I cringe. I'm a I'm a baby, I guess. I don't know, but I I cringe. I still do. James says, count it pure joy when you fall into it. Now, I'm going to pause here and ask you to help me a little bit more. He says, when you fall into various, King James says, diverse. 
various kinds. So I want to ask you, what are the... We, we've been, I've been using words, general words, like distress, sorrow. What, what do people go through? Rejection, okay. Abuse. Losses, yes. Losses of all kinds, material losses, loss of functionality. Okay, what else? Depression. And with that could be other uh, disorders sometimes that people experience. Uh, you mentioned rejection, uh, betrayal, cheating, waywardness, uh, conflict. Sometimes people are going through conflict. They're, they're experiencing hatred from people or, or hmm, ill will, a reaction from people they love. That's, those are distressing things. Uh, uh, accidents. Grief, loss of a loved one. These are things we go through in this. And, and James says, my brothers, count it pure joy when you go through different kinds of trials, testings. Okay, let's uh, move on here. Uh, Jesus passed by, saw a man who was born blind. Blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God <clears throat> should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Sorry, I don't have the reference there. That is from John, I think, 9. <clears throat> uh, from this, what do we learn? Uh, what, why might God allow things like this? Okay, to glorify him. How does he glorify his name? Um, sometimes God allows distresses, losses, because it gives him an opportunity to show something of who he is. Okay, I don't know how to put that in a quick one-word kind of summary, but he, he does it. In this case, he was going to demonstrate who his son is through this man. This man was 40 years, he was blind for 40 years and didn't know why. And suddenly one day, Jesus heals him and says, this is one of the reasons this man was born blind. Okay, <clears throat> let's go to, let's keep going here. What we're saying in these, on these, these scriptures is that God can do good things through things in our lives, through experiences in our lives that to us seem tragic, that hurt it hurts. It hurts physically sometimes. It hurts emotionally. It hurts relationally. But God can do good things. Do you believe that? This is one of the most difficult things for human beings. I, I find Christians today regularly struggling with this issue. That, why? And honestly, when you're right in it, I've even had Christians who say, you know, so God's just doing this to kind of make me a... a an example, can't I just pass? I mean, <laughs> no thanks, God. Okay, we can get cynical and struggle. When we're in it, because the distress is so severe, it doesn't go away. Maybe we don't see how it will ever turn out. Now, here's the thing that I want to tell you, folks. God can do things in your life, in my life, in the lives of 
people who are hurting. He can do these things if we trust him. But we don't always see it. We seldom see all that he's doing, okay? Occasionally, we'll see some things. Those things that we see give us some hope. But I want to tell you something. You might go through things in your life, and you don't understand. There does not seem to be any good coming out of it. This does not change the reality that God is good, and he's, bringing, he's going to do some good things out of this experience. If you trust him, okay? We can mess it up. When we get mad and angry and, and whatever, we can mess all this up. But God really can. So I want to, I'm sorry, one more here. <clears throat> number seven. Oh, no, number six. Uh, the good things God does in our lives through sorrow become stories of hope and inspiration. I, I don't have time to do this, but I could ask you, what are your favorite Bible stories? You know, you, if, I, if you'd say your favorite Bible stories, every one of them probably is somebody who was in terrible distress. We like the stories once they're done. But how would it have been to be there, to be Joseph, to be Esther, to be Daniel? We love those stories. And here's the thing. God's still doing that. He's doing it today. He's doing it in the lives of, we can say, just ordinary people. If we trust him, if we believe in him. Seven, in helping the hurting, we should align our help with the intentions of God. And I look at Jesus and I see two things, especially in the the ministry of Jesus. One is to alleviate suffering. It is right for us to try to alleviate suffering. Jesus did it. He did it over and over and over in his ministry. And then seven, sometimes, you see, sometimes God does the story by taking us, he'll, he'll stop the problem or he'll take us out of the problem. He'll deliver us from it. And we, we say, ah, Look at that. Look what God did. And other times he lets us in it. Okay. John Piper wrote an article. I would encourage you to read. Uh, Counseling Suffering People, I think is the title of it, or How to Counsel. I think it's Counseling Suffering People. Anyway, what he says is this. Really helped me to understand this. He said, we need, particularly in, in, in the Western world, we want to get out of everything that hurts. Okay? Now, it's biblical to alleviate. We should alleviate suffering where we can. So that's a good thing. But he says the reality is that God intends for his people to suffer also in this world. And <clears throat> here's the thing. So then we need to teach people how to suffer well. Not just, not just how to get out of it. Okay? Now, I am saying... We've got to do both. Okay. So, worksheet. I would like here if we could do some work. And I'm going to give you just a little time here to think. Number one, I want you to think about a hurting person you know or interact with. If you are too close to your neighbor and don't want to write a name, that's okay. Okay. You can put him or her there. But just... just, um, Try to think about uh, what is this person going through. Now, I'm going to try to do something here uh, that I think is going to work, but I've never tried it before, okay? I'm going to try to tell you two stories at once, all right? They're both Bible stories, so that helps. First one is the story of Job, okay? You you know the story of Job. So on this first one, uh, how would we describe Job? 
we would say Job is a person who has experienced incredible losses. He has lost his possessions. He has lost his family. He has lost, and, and, and he's also a person who is physically in trouble. He's, got, he's, he's lost his health, and furthermore, he is devastated by this. And Job is confused. He does not understand what is going on. Okay, now you hear what I'm doing? What I've done is described a person. I'm going to describe another person in the Bible. This is Absalom. <clears throat> Absalom is David's son. And I'm going to describe him at a particular point in his life. Second Samuel 14, toward the close of the chapter, Absalom um, called to, uh, sent a message to Joab and said, I want to talk to you, and Joab ignored him. And Absalom got mad, and he, he set Joab's fields on fire, and that made Joab mad. Okay. Joab came storming over and says, what in the world are you doing? And he said, well, I called, and you didn't answer. Okay. Well, okay. What is, what's, what's Absalom? What's his situation? Prior to this, Absalom's sister Tamar had been raped by their half-brother, Amnon. Okay, so that had happened. Uh, terrible, uh, Ab- Absalom was just angry about this, and he eventually, two years later, he killed Amnon. He ran away from home for three years. He was away from home. Eventually, he was brought back through Joab. Joab brought him back. He came back to uh, uh, Jerusalem, and David, his father, who wanted him to come back, said he can come back, but he can't see me. And for three years, he lived in Jerusalem without seeing the king. Now imagine, this is five years. He's run away two years. He's come back five years. So what's Absalom like? Absalom is lonely. He is hungry for his dad. He is angry. He feels like injustice has been done to his sister and has not been, his father hasn't done anything about it. I don't know what all. Okay. Now, now you hear that I'm saying both of these people are hurting. Here's Job who's hurting. Here's Absalom who's really hurting. Okay. But they look really different don't they? Okay, let's go to the next one. Think about your person now. As you know this person, what are his deepest needs? What are her deepest needs? You try to think about what's underneath. What are their needs? You think about Job. Let's say that you could have gone at the time that Job's three friends went and you are smarter than his three friends were, okay? You're wiser. How would you have helped Job? Well, let's start by saying, what were his deeper needs? What, what would you say are Job's deepest needs? I mean, clearly he's got losses and he, whatever, but what are his needs? He needs somebody to sit there with him, okay? Okay? So here, here's, I hear you saying Job needs presence, Presence from people who just sit with him, people who care about him, okay? Anyone else? Yes. He needs understanding or an explanation, you say? Okay. He is, cert- he is confused. He, d- he doesn't understand, okay? Uh, Job, Job is struggling with believing, right? I mean, the, the understanding that he had of God just is not making sense with his circumstances. And so he's struggling with his faith. He's struggling with yeah, confusion. Um, Absalom, let's switch stories. If you could have, Absalom went out then, the next chapter it says he went out and sat at the gate and started getting people to 
like him, and he'd hear their stories and so on like that. If you could have sat with Absalom, what, what are his deepest needs? He needs a father. Any others? What? Acceptance. What? Significance. Okay. Absalom is one angry young man. Um, Absalom, uh, Absalom has some, okay, and, and all the things that you're saying here, I, I understand what you're saying. Absalom also has some pretty deep spiritual needs, doesn't he? I mean, he, 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 he's not forgiving, is he? He's carrying some stuff, isn't he? That some, some things that he's going to have to get rid of or it's going to destroy him. Okay, so you're trying to see the deeper needs now, three, what are specific ways you might help this person? Think back to your person now, and we're thinking on the side of alleviation now. Is there anything you can do for this person? Just think about your situation. You're welcome to write down. And number four, what are things you cannot alleviate? I am going to run out of time if we take this much time with everything here. Let's just take Job and go back here. What are specific things you might do to help this person? Well, I don't know. Maybe we could have offered some physical help, comfort, uh, dressing his sores, maybe pre- taking care of his meals. Uh, okay, so there might be some things there. What would be some things you could not do for Job? Tell him why it happened, okay? You couldn't bring his family back. And it's, it's likely that you couldn't have taken away the distress of his physical suffering. Now, you can try to alleviate it, but you don't, we're not in control over that. Yes? Okay, I was wondering if we could get a little argument going here. I heard little different things here. Uh, what do you think? You folks are the mediators in here, so what, what do you think? Uh, you know, um, here, I, I want to tell you something, folks. When it comes to suffering, we often really want to know why. We want an explanation. And on the one hand, that's something that we feel like is a need that we have. If I could just know why. And I'm going to say that there is, it's not wrong for us to ask that. There is something about understanding what we're going through that can be very helpful. But it is really, it becomes unhelpful when we demand an explanation. And in some cases, I think maybe Paul's getting at this, in some cases an explanation might even sound... Uh, might, might feel unhelpful. Um, now, unless we're God, okay? But, you know, uh, just to, to go through this quickly in relation to Job, I used to think that uh, in studying the book of Job, I, I love to study this book, but I, I used to think that God gave Job an answer. Um, in, in the, but, but really what it seems like when God responded to Job finally, it was more something like this. I am God. And I don't need to answer. 
you don't need to understand why. What you do need is to know me. God is more than an explanation, folks. And, it, and we need more than an explanation when we're going through things and people need more than. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to skip Absalom here a little bit. I hope he doesn't feel bad about that. How clearly does this person understand and seek the purposes of God in suffering? Well, um, Job clearly does want God. He is confused. Absalom really does not understand the purposes of God, is not working in cooperation with God. How might you cooperate with the intentions of God? So you have to think about this with the person that you're looking at here. Uh, Be careful that you don't assume to know all God's purposes. I think the story of Job helps us, gives us caution in trying to help people that we don't offer we don't offer explanation of the intentions of God when we're not God, okay, which is most of the time. Okay, so let's not rush in with explanations. Well, God understands that you can handle this. That's why he gave this to you. You, you hear that? You're explaining something for God there that I don't know if it's all that helpful for people who are hurting. Being with them praying with them, bringing their needs to the Lord. How can I pray for you? Those are are much more helpful, as I would understand, than trying to explain the purposes of God. And at the same time, want to be able to cooperate with those intentions. And so what cautions do we need to exercise with this person? Uh, I would say, just in a general way here, whether it's Job or Absalom or whatever, we need to be careful that we don't try to do God's work. Okay. Now, I have not said this, but in helping distressed people, we have to exercise this and we have to somehow help them as well to distinguish between the things we can do and the things we can't. So with helping uh, Job, with helping Absalom, there are some things that we could do for them. There are some things we can't do for them. And when a person is resisting God, it becomes very difficult for us to alleviate their suffering. It may be the exact means by which God is bringing them to himself. I wonder how many times I have sat with people who have broken finally under distress. Okay? Where they come to God, they come back to God. And so when we alleviate, now if there, I'm just saying, if there are things that we can do to alleviate suffering, I think that is the right thing to do. Jesus' example. Uh, I have another sheet here that I'm going to not try to work on in our, in our uh, class here, but I'll, I'll give it to you, uh, a worksheet that you can carry this forward. It is so instructive to go to the stories where in, the, in the New Testament, the Gospels, where Jesus helped people and just read them and ask ourselves, what, what attitudes did Jesus have toward these people? What were their needs? And how did Jesus, what did he do to meet those needs? Sometimes Jesus healed the sick. Sometimes he raised the dead. And we can say, well, I can't do that. All right? You don't have to do exactly what Jesus did, but you, you can ask yourself, what can I do for them? Or what is not mine to do for them? And then we be faithful with helping what we can, letting God do the things that we cannot do. I have a couple of discussion questions here. 
I am going to ask if you would take these to the back and people can take a copy uh, as they go out if they'd like to. This is a, just a chart of a couple of times Jesus helped people that you can work on this further. How do we relate to somebody who is blaming others for their sorrow? They're bitter about it. What are your thoughts? How do we help somebody who is angry, who is bitter about the distress, the sorrow, the difficulty they're going through? Well, let's just let me say here, there aren't easy answers to that. But one of the things we have to be careful about uh, with a person who is angry or bitter about it is we have to realize that that person is not understanding or cooperating with the intentions of God. So all these things we said that, that God can do are being hindered by that anger, by that bitterness. Okay, so that becomes a need. That's, that's an issue in their, in their life. We are out of time at the end of our time. Let, let me just say, folks, that distress, sorrow, this is the place in the distresses and sorrows of life. This is, the, this is one of the best ways in our culture to bring people to Jesus. Uh, not saying it very well here. Let me do this, try this again. You will often find that people meet Jesus at the point of the deepest distress that they have. Okay? And so I, I am saying that I think Christians, our responsibility is to interact with people and not be afraid of human sorrow, but actually inter- it's the place where we can, we can talk. I wonder how many times I have been able to talk to people about Jesus because they ca- these people came to me in distress. Okay? There's a sorrow. There is something that's hurting. Now, sometimes they don't, they, they, all they want is to be, to be uh, the distress to be alleviated. They, they don't, they're not, okay? And uh, again, that can limit maybe the help that we can give, but it, it really is the opportunity. I have, I have been able, folks, to pray with people that I don't know, uh, that, that, that we're not believers, but in distress, they're open to it. And I'm saying it's a way that we can bring Jesus to people. Helping, hurting people is something that God wants us to do. Bless you. Thank you for your attention, your input. You may pick up that paper on the way out if you wish. It's, again, it's just a worksheet that you can work on in Jesus' example. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders Educational Programs. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.